0: We open the scriptures again this time to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4 verse 4. This is the word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. And now we'll open the confession of the church to Lord's Day 45. We're going to be reading Lord's Days 45, 46, and 47. And here the church confesses and summarizes the teaching of Holy Scripture in the following manner. Why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us, and also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually, and with heartfelt longing, ask God for these gifts and thank Him for them. How does God want us to pray so that He will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed Himself to us in His Word, asking for everything He has commanded us to ask of Him. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? Everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us. What is this prayer? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? To awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer what should be basic to our prayer, a childlike reverence and trust, that through Christ God has become our Father and will much less refuse to give us what we ask in faith, than will our parents refuse us the things of this life. Why the words, who is in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly way, and to expect from his almighty power everything needed for body and soul. What does the first petition mean? Hallowed be your name means help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them, your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, why do we pray? Why should we pray? It's a very silly question. It's kind of like asking somebody, why do you breathe? Why should you breathe? The answer is self-evident. Because if you're alive, that's what you do. And if you are alive spiritually, that's what you do. You commune. You communicate with God. That's just what you do. That's part of being alive in God, in Christ. Breathing is important for our physical life. You ever ever had it as a parent that you put the baby to bed, and, and then a few minutes later you go back to check, and you want to see that they're breathing. You want to see that little chest moving up and down. You want to you want to see that they're breathing because then you know that all is well. Because breathing is. It's life. It's naturally a part of being alive. We do it all the time. It helps keep us alive. It's this incredible exchange, isn't it? As we breathe out what we don't want or need. We breathe out that carbon dioxide. We exhale that and then we inhale oxygen. And the harder we work and the harder we strive, the harder we need to breathe, right? When you're running a marathon or when you're running a sprint, you don't say, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing this intense physical workout and I need all of my energy so I don't have time to breathe. You wouldn't say that, would you? You, you breathe harder when you exert yourself more. And so as breathing is to the physical life, so prayer is to the spiritual life. It's a natural part of being alive in Christ. That's why the apostle tells us, pray without ceasing. And just like physical breathing is this exchange, so spiritual breathing, prayer, is this exchange. We we give over our anxieties and our needs, and we receive from God peace and Christian contentment. And the harder the battle, the more we strive, the more we pray, the more we need to pray. And you remember our brother Luther, that when he had an especially busy day, he would spend more time in prayer. So prayer to the spiritual life is very much like breathing to the physical life. And here's the question for, for all of us, including the man in the pulpit. Are you holding your breath? Or are you breathing? Now, the church, every year, goes through the teaching services and 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 goes in some way through the scriptural instruction about the importance and the purpose of prayer. And there's a reason for it. The, the Heideberg Catechism isn't just something that somebody just imagined out of the blue, but it comes from a very, very long tradition of teaching that goes back for thousands of years in the Christian church, going back to millennia. The... The church has always required new members, new believers, to know the Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. And those are exactly the three texts which are expounded sentence by sentence in the heart catechism. These are basic things that you have to know in order to be a member of the Christian church. And the Catechism takes those three things and explains them line by line and and weaves them into a story. If you start at the beginning of the Catechism, go through the end of the Catechism, it's a story. It's the story of salvation, which takes us through where we come from, what we are in Adam, sinners and fallen and lost. It brings us to our salvation in Christ Jesus, and then it ends with our service as new creatures, as new men and women transformed by the power of God and living in the power of Christ. So sin, salvation, service, or guilt, grace, and gratitude, that's how the Catechism explains the way of salvation. And as we come to the end of the Catechism, which is where we are in Lord's Days uh, 45, 46, and uh, 47, we're in that third section. We're in that section which talks about service, about gratitude. That's where we've just, as we begin the section on prayer... We've just finished the section on the Ten Commandments and, and the Catechism has shown us from the scripture what Christ has done. He has set us free, just like God freed his people from Egypt and then he brought them to Mount Sinai and said, well, here's the Ten Commandments. This is what it looks like to not live like a slave. This was, this is what it looks like to live as a free son and daughter of God. This is the freedom of living in God's kingdom. And so we, have the Ten Commandments to describe for us the joy of the freedom of living in Christ. And that's why the scripture calls it, James calls it, the perfect law of freedom. It just describes for us what life looks like when you live without guilt, when you live full of the Holy Spirit. You know, the law, the law back in the first part of the Catechism, we confess that the law teaches us our sin. And it's when you're driving down the highway the wrong way, all the signs say wrong way. No entrance. Turn around. You're gonna kill someone. Don't do this. All the signs are telling you it's bad, it's wrong. But when you turn around, and you're going the right way, all the signs tell you, Yes, this that's it. This is the way to your destination. Keep going. And so that's how the law changes in its function. It it has been an enemy to us in our sin. It's been condemning us and accusing us, but in Christ, it is now our friend, and it shows us the way. It's very simple. It shows us that to live in Christ is just to be who God created you to be, to do what God created you to do, and that's just to love him and to love your neighbor. It's that simple. And so we've just been, if we come to Lord's say 45, uh, we've just been through the law, and we look at those commandments And we find out that even though we're in Christ and we know our sins are forgiven, these commandments still seem very, very far beyond our reach. Because we've got all these leftovers of the flesh. We've got the old nature still within us. We're not not totally free from that old nature. We're free from the power of sin because sin no longer rules us. But we're not free from the presence of sin. And you see how even the great apostle Paul struggled with that in Romans chapter 7. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What's Paul saying? He's saying, he's expressing, verbalizing what we all feel and express. Right, children? You you want to do the right thing, but you don't always manage, do you? And so the the Christian life is a struggle and a longing. It is a deep-seated desire to be more like the Lord Jesus, to grow in sanctification, to grow in holiness. And, and we see the way and he shows us the way. We say, yes, that's what I want to do. That's how I want to be. But we learn very quickly that we can't work to make ourselves better. We, we can't try really hard to get there. It just doesn't work. Our only hope is that God's spirit would change us by divine power to be more Like Jesus. That's what the scripture says, right? Paul writes that to the Corinthians that we are being transformed from glory to glory after the image of Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit. That's His work. And that's our longing. That's our desire. And because we long to be like Jesus and we desire to be like Jesus, that drives us to fervent, regular, heartfelt prayer. We cry out to God because that's our only hope. And so the Catechism calls prayer the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. And it's a little hard for us to process that, at least. It's hard for me to process that. How, How is prayer thankfulness, or the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us, the most important part? How does it work? Well, Christ died to free you from the power of sin. Christ died to make you, to transform you, to be like him. How are we going to respond to that? We know what the Lord Jesus did. We know what he went through. We know what it cost him. He tasted the agony and the horror and the torment, the anguish. Of hell. Eternal hell. The hell that we deserve. He took for us. All the wrath of God was poured out upon him. The wrath of God that our sins deserved. And he thought it was worth it. To save you. And to save me. To change us. To be men, women and children. Who reflect the very character of Christ. And so... How do we respond to that? You know, if we just keep on walking along in our sins and we're kind of fine with not having such a perfect life and we kind of indulge ourselves in our pet little sins and we're fine with it as long as we're pretty much good people and we just have a few imperfections here or there. If we're fine with that, if we're happy in our sin, if we're content in our sin, if we're impenitent in our sin, that's the height of ingratitude. Jesus paid the most awful price. He paid the highest price in the universe to change us. And for us to say, well, Jesus, thanks, but no thanks. I, I, I'm fine. I, I An outwardly good life, but I'll keep on indulging in certain favorite sins. And, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I don't need to be changed to be made perfect like you. That's the height of ingratitude. Gratitude is to say, Jesus, thank you so much. I hate sin. You died for me. You took away the guilt of my sin. Now take away the presence of sin. Just rip it out, no matter how much it hurts. I want to be perfect. I want to be holy. I want to be like you. And I can't do it. So help me, Lord. And to just live that way of crying out to God and asking, Lord, chip away at all the stuff in my life that doesn't belong. And get rid of it. Rip it out of my heart. That's gratitude. That means that we're tracking, we're on track with, with what Jesus has done and, and we're we're together with him in and, and his project to save us. We we understand what he's done and we, we desire it to happen. And so the Christian life is, is not being happy in sin. The Christian life is to be happy with who we are in Christ and to want to be more like that all the time. We want to think like him. We want to speak like him. We want to act like Christ more and more according to, to who we are in Christ. And we want to be less and less who we are in Adam. Now that's a pitch battle. That's a massive fight that goes on and the battleground is right here inside us. In our souls and our hearts. The devil does his best to to drag us down. to, To make us stay like fallen Adam in his sin. And to become more and more like fallen Adam in his death. That's what the devil's doing. There's this massive battle going on. the spirit is at the same time working in us to change us, to transform us, to make us more like Jesus in his resurrection and life. And so God has given us prayer not just as a way of showing thankfulness for the work of Christ and his spirit, but also as a means of grace. It pleases God to give to us what we need in the battle through the means of our prayers. And that's what we, we confess, right? We we read that in, in Laws Day 45. God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank him for them. Which means the opposite is also true. If we're not continually asking, we're not asking with heartfelt longing, God's not going to give it. You know, if you find yourself not growing in holiness and sanctification, if you find yourself kind of sliding backwards in your life of holiness and sanctification, if you find that your besetting sins are just keep on besetting you and there's no healing and you're you're just not getting free from them, there's no movement forward, then you've got to ask yourself, am I praying with heartfelt longing? And when I see progress, am I thanking God with heartfelt thanks? It is through prayer, that God grants us the things that we need. That's why we should pray. It should be as natural and normal to the Christian as breathing is for the physical life. And we, we pray with our hands folded, we pray before we begin our meals, but we need to be praying without ceasing, which means that when we wake up, the first thing in our minds and on our lips and in our hearts should be prayer. What's the first thing that that you think of when you wake up. Do you roll over and grab your phone and check your notifications on social media? Do you check your crypto and see how it's doing, how it's done during the night? What's the first thing on your mind? For the Christian, it's unceasing prayer. We wake up, and say, Lord, thank you for the night. Thank you for a new day. And we, and as we walk along, as we take the bus, as we drive, as we're, as, as we're living, we just pray all the time. We commune in our hearts with God. It's not something that we just keep for formal moments when we close our eyes and fold our hands. So that's why we should pray. Now now, what should we pray for? Well, God instructs us to pray for what we need, and we confess that in the catechism. If we, if we pray for earthly success, if we pray for people to look up to us, if we pray for for people and things, well, We heard that this morning from Psalm 62. That's not what we need. That's the last thing we need. What do we really need? We need God. We need strength and resources to worship God, to honor God, to live for God, to obey God. And that's why Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer. It's a pattern for what's important in prayer. And you know, I I continually find myself falling short of this pattern. Look Look how the prayer begins and how it ends. It begins and ends with God. It begins and ends with his glory and with his kingdom and with his power. You know, how often do our prayers not end up like little shopping lists? Father, here I am and this is the list of things that I want you to give me. But Jesus instructs us in the Lord's Prayer to begin by focusing on Him, on His power, on His glory, on His holiness, on His kingdom, on His will. That's the beginning and the end of prayer. And in that context, we ask for the things we need, even the most practical things like food and drink, we ask them not for ourselves in the first place, but we ask them in the context of service to King Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. That's the context. As we fight this great battle that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter six, that battle between the forces of light and darkness, we pray for what we need to be faithful soldiers of the cross, to be faithful citizens of the kingdom. So that's why we should pray. That's what we should pray for. Now, to whom do we pray? And and the Lord Jesus commands us to pray to our Father who is in heaven. Our Father. Our Father. That's someone who's very close by. That's someone with whom we have an intimate relationship. That's someone who loves us with a deep love. That's The one who has known us from before the foundation of the world. Who has set his love upon us. His electing love in Jesus Christ in time and space. He he brought us into being. He created us. He marked us as his own. He put a mark on your forehead. Little children. There's a mark, right? When you are baptized. And God said, this little boy, this little girl belongs to me. Is my child. I love him. I love her. And no one can ever erase that mark. That's your father that put it there. He cares about you. He has lavished his love upon you in Jesus Christ. And if an earthly father gives to his children what they need when they say, Dad, I'm hungry, and they don't give the child a rock, how much more our heavenly father, when we ask him for what we need, will give us exactly what we need and even more. So we're praying to our father. We're praying to someone with whom we have a relationship of love. You know, check out the way you pray. Think about the way you pray, the way we often pray. I don't know how it is in the USC community, but often in Canadian form uh, events, we, we, we start off by telling God what time it is. We say, Lord, at the beginning of this meeting, Lord, at the beginning of this meal, we always tell God what time it is for some reason. I don't know why. And then we give him a list of things we want. Lord, bless this and bless that and give this and give that. What if we treated our earthly father that way? What if every day we woke up and walked into the living room and there was dad and we said, dad, at the beginning of this day, I want this, 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 and this. Is that a a relationship of love? Does our prayer reflect the fact that we're praying to the one who has adopted us as his beloved children in Christ Jesus? We are praying to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has included us in his family at the greatest cost that can be possibly paid, the cost of the precious blood of his own only begotten son. We're not praying to a genie in a lamp who will tr- try to fulfill our wishes. But well, we're praying to our loving father who at the same time is almighty God. He doesn't just want to help us, he can, because he can do everything. He's the eternal, the almighty, the king of kings and the lord of lords, the creator and ruler of the universe. Nothing is beyond his power. And so we can come to him and ask him for everything we need to be his children, to live as his children, to be faithful soldiers of the kingdom of heaven. He wants to hear us and he has the power to answer us. And so we've got this incredible resource that we can just, 24-7 we can just open up the communication lines and ask for. Now think about that. You're a soldier in a war. You're on the front lines. Imagine you have this radio which connects you with unlimited resources, air support, artillery, reinforcements, food, and ammunition, and equipment. If you have all of this just within a radio call away, would you use it? Or would you leave the radio turned off most of the time and just try to do things on your own? That doesn't make sense. That would be foolish. And yet, how often don't we do that? We run into a problem. Is it always the first reaction that we fall on our knees and say, Lord, I've got a problem. Can you help me? Is that the first reaction? Or do we first spend a lot of time trying to figure out how we're going to solve it, and then we, we run up against a brick wall a whole bunch of times, and we're really hurting, Oh yes, yes, right. Why don't we ask the Lord? Don't we often do that? I know I do. It's foolish, but I do it a lot. But God's reminding us that we can come to him always. We can come to him often. We can come to him first. Just a call away. And we have all the resources we need. And that's what a faithful soldier does. Every contact with the enemy... He's on the radio. He's communicating the, the size and the composition and the disposition, the disposition of the enemy. He's calling for air strikes, for artillery strikes, because he's not a fool. He knows he can't fight the battle by himself, but he needs all the resources that the general has at his disposition. He does it. He calls out for help and resources because he wants to win because he wants to win for the glory of the kingdom and for the glory of the king that he serves. Now imagine another soldier who has all these resources, but he can't be bothered, and he's not even tuned in on the same network. He's tuned in on the enemy network, and he spends his time on the radio waves, joking and fraternizing with the enemy and listening to the enemy's propaganda. He has no time or inclination to communicate the needs and to request support and to await orders. What's going to happen to that guy? Well, his position is going to be overrun. His unit is going to be captured or destroyed. And think about that. Especially young people, I want to challenge you. How much time do you spend? Well, not just young people. Old people, too. How much time do we spend doom scrolling, texting, tweeting, posting, chatting? How much time do we spend? Hours and hours and hours and hours. You know, if you just kind of scroll and chat and communicate in social media one hour a day, that's 365 hours a year. And that's like more than two months of full-time work. That's a lot of time. That's just if you do it one hour a day. But we spend more than an hour a day on the internet, don't we? Amusing ourselves to death. Consuming stuff. And chattering away about stuff which is really foolish. The stuff of Vanity Fair. That In Pilgrim's Progress, you know, like, that, that that fair where there's just all useless stuff which has no importance whatsoever. We we spend hours and hours a week sharing memes, And we think we're real holy if the prayer goes for an extra minute. And wow, I'm really close to God today. I prayed for three minutes instead of two. We have to rethink the way that we pray and the importance and the time that we give to prayer. So here's the question. For you. How is your battle with sin going? Is there a battle? Or are you just floating along? Is it a fight to the death? Are you battling to put to death the works of the flesh? And you can't, can you? And so when you can't, are you crying out to God? And are you asking him, Oh God, hear my cry and And work in me with the sanctifying power of the Spirit of Christ. And are you banging on the doors of heaven and asking Him over and over and over, Lord, take away sin in my life. Make me holy. Make me dedicated to Christ and to Christ's service. Are you praying, my brother, my sister, are you praying deliberately and intentionally and personally and regularly? Is your life filled with prayer? Parents, when, when your kids walk into the living room in the morning, do they see you praying to God and, and feeding on God's word, or do they see you scrolling on social media? You are saying something to your children with the way that you order your life and your priorities. And when I say that, brothers and sisters, I'm preaching to myself. There's a lot of stuff that has to change in the pastor's life as well. Are we praying? enough we've got this incredible powerful thing that god gives to us this open line of communication are we using it do you pray with your husband do you pray with your wife do you pray with your children do you pray with your friends you ever, you ever notice how rare it is we're, we're, we're christians right we're followers of jesus we get together socially, we eat and drink, and we we do the prayers, of course, the regular ones, before the meal and after the meal, and we do the routine stuff. But how often do we just say, you know what, let's just pray together at the end of an evening. We've had a wonderful time and great socializing. and We've just enjoyed good food and good fellowship. And how often we just say, you know what, let's pray for one another and with one another? Young people, do you do that? It's a good way to live. You know, invariably, when the elders end up being involved in the life of someone in the church who is kind of straying, living in sin, they kind of get caught up in sin, they start neglecting worship and not showing up at church, and the elders go after them, and invariably, when people are living in sin, they have neglected daily prayer and the daily reading of the word. You you will find that that they've just been, they've fallen into the grip of the enemy because they haven't been faithful in daily prayer and scripture reading, scripture study. It's that easy. It's that simple. It's very simple, brothers and sisters. If you want to make it, if you make it a priority to be in the word, if you make it a priority to be in prayer, then you will be clad in the whole armor of God and you will pray, as Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 6, you will pray at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. And in that power, you will overcome. Because it is that's the way that we fight our battles. With the Word of God open, and with our hands uplifted in thankful prayer, and with a heart which worships God and longs for God and pours itself out to God and seeks the face of God. So let's pray together. Father, train us from the scriptures in how to pray. We ask that your good spirit would equip us to be constant in prayer, faithful in prayer, unceasing in prayer, That he would drive us to seek your face in prayer, to pour out our hearts in prayer. Oh God, save us from a shallow and boring and powerless prayer life. Grant us to be prayer warriors, so that through our life of fervent prayer we would thank and praise your holy name, and we would find rich blessing and much growth in holiness by the power of the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, Amen.